0: Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans in NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, literally wherever you get your podcast from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider Credential, member of the media, and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Tuesday, day after the Pelicans fall to the Brooklyn Nets, 135-125, falling to 1-6 in six on the season. But we got a really good Brandon Ingram game out of this. We'll take a look at him, how he played in this one, the rest of the game for the Pelicans, the good, and... All of the bad that comes with it. And then we'll maybe touch on the Pelicans in crunch time. This was a really interesting game for a variety of perspectives. So let's dive into it all in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So it was a disappointing game overall for the Pelicans in a 135-125 loss to the Brooklyn Nets, a game where New Orleans was just thoroughly outplayed for the first half but came storming back in the third, and we'll spend a whole segment looking at the comeback in the third quarter, though I actually think it's pretty simple on what happened there, and then they managed to keep it somewhat close within the fourth quarter before ultimately falling because of, well, bad defense. But I want to touch on that a little bit later because let's focus on Brandon Ingram because he was... Awesome in this one. If you didn't see the game last night, just pull up his full highlights. Dude put up 40 in this one. 40 points on 24 shots. He was 17 of 24 from the field. That's almost 71%. Just one of three from deep, and that's important. Only three three three-pointers. Only went to the line five total times, hitting all five of them, finished with five rebounds, five assists, four turnovers, two, two steals, and five fouls. But he was awesome and was just cooking All night long and what's interesting is if you look at those highlights and trust me they're up there go watch them because they are that good he kind of reminds you of Kevin Durant in this one playing the team that Kevin Durant is on and that's with the mid-range game he only took three threes all night long and was just cooking with the space that Brooklyn gave him in the middle of the court and you know what it was good If you look at his shot chart on almost any other player, you're going to just say, that is absolutely terrible. You don't want to be taking all of those mid-rangers. But one, if you're hot, you should do it. They're open and you can hit them. You should also take them. And this is something that Kevin Durant does. He was recently on Twitter talking with Matt Moore, who's the co-host of the Locked On Nuggets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, and said, look, mid-rangers aren't bad. I can hit them. They're open. Why wouldn't I take them? Kevin Durant is the outlier on this. He's not the guy that should prove the theory that mid-rangers are good. But Brandon Ingram has a lot of Kevin Durant in his game. And on a night when he's feeling that jumper and if you go seven of 17 of 24, you're feeling that jumper. Take all the shots you want, particularly with the Brooklyn Nets trying to seal off the rim and giving him that space. They were backing away from him when he started to drive, giving him a foot or two of space, and he's able to get that shot off with his height and his length and those long arms. On almost every single defender, even centers that switched onto him, and he was cooking from that. So normally, this isn't an efficient shot. This isn't necessarily even considered a good shot, and it's not the shot you want guys taking. But when they're doing what Brandon Ingram did in this one, hell yeah, you take that shot. And he did basically 17 times, 14 times, whatever you want to say. He made that many. Took far more of them. He was. Good. There is no other way to put it. Did it on a variety of ways. Whether it was a drive, a st- hesitation, and a pull-up. Or gets down low, gets bodied up, and does kind of that turnaround spin, floater falling backwards, fadeaway type thing that Kevin Durant knows how to do. He did all of that. And he was good. Particularly in the second half when the Pelicans really needed some help to get back into the game. He started going and played excellently and is one of the reasons why this game is much closer than it should have been new orleans was down by um as big as 20 in this one they should have been blown out But Brandon Ingram really helped this team claw back. When they needed a guy to go out and score and get some buckets in ways that were other than three-pointers, he did it. 22 points in the second half for this team. And he basically did everything he could to try and keep them in it. Dude's going to get paid. He also had 12 in the fourth quarter alone. Dude's going to get paid. We all know this. We thought it might be at least before the season started by another team. Now it seems like he's going to get paid by the New Orleans Pelicans because he played that awesome. And he's done it all season. He had more 30-point games here with the New Orleans Pelicans and now a 40-point game, which is a career high, than he did all last year, basically. Or it's, it's pretty close. I forget the exact numbers. I think Will Guillory of The Athletic tweeted him out. Oh, that, then basically all of last year, he's on pace to shatter that mark. He's been good. I like the way he's played. Normally being kind of a stats guy and an efficiency guy, I don't like this type of game. But when you have a guy that hits it this consistently, oh, hell yeah. He's feeling confident with that three-point shot too. He took one early, made it. He drove to the rim early on and had a couple of uh, baskets that he laid in just off of the glass that I think keyed the Brooklyn Nets into saying, we've got to take this away from him. And he's smart enough that he kind of did and took what the Brooklyn Nets gave him. I love that. That's what you want to see. That's what this Pelicans team needs. Smart players like that right now, given everything that's going on with them. So Brandon Ingram was absolutely awesome in this one, was okay defensively. I don't want to say great in this one, but not bad. And basically did everything he could to try and keep New Orleans in it. But unfortunately, the rest of the team wasn't able to do that. And despite looking terrible, the Pelicans actually managed to make this one a game. I'll get into how they managed to do that in the third quarter. It's actually pretty simple and fits their offensive philosophy. But before we do that, today's show brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. So despite being down by as many as 20 in the game, the Pelicans managed to come back in this one. They put up 50 points in the first half and looked pretty bad, to be honest, but came storming back in the third quarter, scoring 48 points. They had 48 in the third, 50 in the first half. Think about that one for a second. So what did they do? Well, how did this happen? It's actually pretty simple. They hit their three-point shots. In the first half, the Pelicans really struggled shooting the ball overall. They didn't look good whatsoever. Let me pull up the numbers here. I just hit the wrong button on my computer, so I'm stalling for time. They were 20 of 50 in the first half, so 40%, and just 3 of 17 from deep. That is not going to get it done. They are top six. In three-point shooting all year going into this game, they actually are the sixth best three-point shooting team by percentage and also taking a large amount of attempts, so high volume too. They're a good three-point shooting team. I actually believe it in this year, whereas I haven't in years past. Well, they finally got hot in the third quarter. They went 8 of 11 from deep during that quarter, 73%. That's significantly better than what they were doing before. You combine that with everything in the fast pace that they were playing in that quarter and yeah, they managed to put up 48 points. Josh Hart was 2 of 3 from deep, 5 of 7 overall in that quarter for 12 total points. Brandon Ingram was just cooking from mid range and hit his 1-3 of the game in that quarter. Lonzo Ball was 2 of 3 from deep for 8 points. J.J. Redick got in on the action, Frank Jackson got in on the action, and one more got in on the action. As a whole, the Pelicans were 17 of 26 in the third quarter 65.4% so basically they got hot is how they got back into this game it wasn't because they were playing good defense they were not in the third quarter they gave up 37 points in that quarter by the way to the Brooklyn Nets they just were shooting better than Brooklyn and able to kind of keep ahead of them and in the scoring margin 48 to 37 is not a good defensive quarter for anybody. It is a good offensive quarter, especially if you're the one scoring more points than your opponents. And when you're doing it by a significant margin, New Orleans was able to get back into this game. But this is what they do. They want a large amount of shots in a quarter in a game and hopefully make more than the other team. That's basically the only chance they have to win right now if you watch them play with how pitiful the defense has been, which we'll talk about in the next segment. But this wasn't anything particularly special, I thought, from New Orleans to get back into it. It was just a hot shooting stretch. Nothing else. They went out. They nailed their threes. 8 of 11 is really good. 17 of 26 is very, very good, too. But they were still getting outworked at times. They were still lost defensively. They had a couple of second-chance points in that quarter, too. And just kind of, okay— outshot the Nets. That is not necessarily a recipe for winning basketball with this team when you're still giving up 37. But they did shoot hot. Now, they're not going to shoot as poorly as they did in the first half In most of the games this year, they're not going to shoot as hot as they did in the third quarter this year. So everything's kind of somewhere in the middle, which is where they've been all year, which is why they've been in most of the games that they've played. Still, the only one where they got absolutely whipped seems to be the game against the Golden State Warriors. This is a team that relies on shooting right now, at least with Zion Williamson out. And without that, well, then you're going to have rough stretches like they did in the first half it's compounded by the fact that the defense is really really bad right now and that's kind of how you end up with a one in five team a team that's going to have stretches or sorry one in six now where they shoot poorly and don't play good defense you're going to lose a lot of games but when that shooting gets hot you can win and you can stay competitive at least for quarters at a time but if you can't do that for four quarters or for multiple games you're going to run into some trouble I actually do believe in this team's three-point shooting. I don't think this is necessarily an issue or something you don't want to rely on. Certainly, at times, some of these long threes that maybe Lonzo takes that aren't good looks, even though he's open, lead to fast break points for the opponent. And you kind of saw it. Brooklyn put up 23 in the fast break in this game compared to just 16 for New Orleans. But they're playing their style of basketball. And for the most part, I think if the defense clamps down a little bit, it's going to work. Because you can have quarter explosions like they did. And also, if your defense is better and you put up 50 points in the half, as long as you can keep it close when the, the regression to the mean comes upward for New Orleans in terms of shooting, you'll be able to win a lot of games. So from that part, I feel kind of comfortable with this game offensively. They were they were garbage at times. So that's just because they weren't shooting well. And even, you know, the the 11, 17%, whatever the hell it was in the first half, is anomalously bad. I don't even know if that's a word. And it's not going to be like that over the course of a game or a course of a season. I do think this is a top 10 three-point shooting team, though, particularly in terms of volume and percentage. But you've got to get the defense fixed. And that's what we're going to look at in the segment coming up. Before we get to that, though, don't forget, subscribe to Locked On Pelicans wherever you get your podcasts from here Monday through Friday, breaking down everything you want to know about this team, the good, the 40-point games from Brandon Ingram, him blossoming into an absolute stud in the league, and the bad, the defense, which we're about to touch on, but there's also other good things that we want to get excited about, too, so we will cover all of that here all season long and what's probably the most interesting season we've had for the Pelicans in a while, Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review with a comment. I've seen a lot of the new ones you've all left recently. I greatly appreciate that. Please keep it up. Helps the podcast more than you guys know. So subscribe to Locked on Pelicans wherever you get your podcast from. So before we get to the defense, I do want to mention one thing. This was probably a well-coached game by Alvin Gentry for the most part in terms of the lineups and the rotations. Nothing was going well in the first half for him, and he made some changes. He brought in Jackson Hayes for extended run. He played one Moore in this game, significant minutes. Moore hasn't played since the first game of the regular season. If you want to criticize Gentry, which is totally fair in – Open to do. I'm not going to tell you guys what to do, but criticism of him certainly is warranted. He was good in this one. He made the right changes kind of based on the feel of the game. Going a lot of four-guard lineups in this one. You saw some lineups of Frank Jackson, Etuan Moore, Josh Hart, J.J. Reddick, or Lonzo Ball in there. Alongside a big in Jackson Hayes. And it worked for a little bit. They managed to get back into this game partially because of that lineup. And I think that's really big. You know, that's out of the norm for what they've been doing recently. And it worked. And they managed to claw back into this one with pretty good three-point shooting by throwing out a bunch of guys who actually can hit threes when given the chance. So this, in terms of that aspect, was a well-coached game from Alvin Gentry. If you dislike some of the rotations and stuff, you've got to be happy because that rotation led to an explosion of points in the third quarter. But overall in this game, it was pretty rough on the defensive side of the ball. Basically, the Pelicans couldn't do almost anything. They gave up too many open three-pointers, and they gave up a ton of points in the paint. 58 to Brooklyn alongside a bunch of made threes, including a dagger at the end of the game. But if you look at that dagger by Joe Harris at the end of the game, Joe Harris being a very good three-point shooter... I don't know what else they were really supposed to do. I don't think, and I've been talking with a lot of people on Twitter about this, about the scheme of the defense, that it was necessarily bad. It was a one or two possession game late in the fourth quarter with under two minutes to go. Kyrie Irving's got the ball. You don't want him to have the ball. You've got to force the ball out of his hands. And they did. They doubled him up high, like thirty plus feet away from the basket. But it's what you do. Kyrie Irving is one of the best scorers in the league. He's the second leading scorer in points per game right now, and he's also probably the best finisher as a guard around the rim. You can't let that uh, that guy have the ball in his hands and either try and score on you or just dribble timeout. So they force it out. It gets to Joe Harris. They leave him one on one. He makes another pass, and the Pelicans decide to double there and left joe harris wide open again after that pass i don't know what the thinking was there that was the issue and then joe harris is wide open so whoever got the ball after joe harris passed it goes from Kyrie, joe harris other guy can't remember who it is back to joe harris after a double well then he was wide open hits the three dagger game over right there Getting the ball out of Kyrie's hands was a good idea. It's all the mental miscues that, go, that occur after that. How do you let Joe Harris open on the perimeter when you know he's just a six-foot pass away from an open three, and he made it? That's a bad shot to give up. New Orleans has been doing too much of that. It's just a mental mistake, and maybe it's players not understanding what's going on, and we're seven games into the season, so sure, maybe that's some of it. Or, or maybe part of it is scheme. I'm not saying the scheme is perfect. But overall, it's a lot of crap like that. And you call it crap because it's just bad defense. And like people should know better. to like, Cover Joe Harris on the perimeter in the fourth. So that's kind of been a bit of a problem. But it also kind of presents just what's New Orleans supposed to do? You did the right thing by getting the ball out of Kyrie Irving and doubling and trapping him up top. And then everything just kind of falls apart. And we've seen it. It's the initial defense being pretty good. Drew holiday has been pretty good. You've had other guys be pretty good. At one point, Lonzo Ball had some nice defense on Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, again, who's a very fucking good scorer in this one. Kyrie Irving, by the way, finished with 39 points on the night. Nine assists and four rebounds. He was pretty good. Shot almost 62% from the field. And it just shows you, like, this was a tough matchup, as I said in yesterday's podcast preview in the game. They take and make a lot of threes, so them taking and making a lot of threes against New Orleans shouldn't necessarily come as a surprise. Now, Alvin Gentry said this in his post-game presser, where he was incredibly surly and probably shouldn't have come off like that, but he goes, this is what they do to teams all around the league. They're high up in the rankings for a reason, not just because of one game against New Orleans. And you try to get them to beat you other ways. But it didn't work, and we saw it. The pick-and-roll defense continued to be bad, giving up open threes to some shooters that should not have been open. Karis LeVert taking eight threes, making four of them. Joe Harris was four of nine. You've got to get the ball out of those guys' hands and force them into other shots, which they did for the most part. Karis LeVert took 19 shots. Eight of them were threes. Joe Harris took 14. Only nine of them were threes only. The majority of them were threes. But you get what I'm saying. It's not like they're just bombing from three. There's some good things going on here, but it's just the rest of everything that I think leads to really bad defense. And it's also just some of the players out there. Jaleel Okafor is ineffective defensively, whether he's trapping up high or trying to guard down low. He's not good there. Jackson Hayes, who had an extended run in this game, was bad He fouled out with just playing 16.5 minutes, uh, didn't uh, hit a field goal, did go to the line three times, made them all, but grabbed five total rebounds, only two of them being defensive. There's a sequence late in the fourth where he's out there where I forget who drove, but he Bites on like a move and jumps to kind of try and contest with his arms up. The guy kind of just easily gets around him, misses a layup, but because he had already jumped to contest that, it led to, I think, uh, Jared Allen. Sorry, I just kicked the mic right there. Jared Allen getting an easy offensive rebound. Then he then kicked out to Joe Harris, who shot a corner three and then missed it, but Joe and then. Back again down low, this battle between Jackson Hayes and Jared Allen. Jared Allen just swim-moved the shit out of him, grabbed the ball, and just flushed it back down for an easy two-handed like, put-back dunk. Very simply, and that all started with Jackson Hayes just being out of position and not timing his jump ball or not realizing he shouldn't jump and contest that and just put your arms up so that you can try and grab a defensive board. There is a sequence a couple of plays later where he had a smaller guy boxing him out and you saw Brandon Ingram just look at him and go, grab the damn ball. I don't think he said it quite like that. I forget who it was boxed him out and grabbed the offense board when there's just no reason Jackson Hayes shouldn't have gotten that other than he just doesn't know positioning, timing, and all of that and what to do right now. But when he's playing significant minutes down low for you in crunch time, I don't know what we should expect is going to happen. So it's a lot of stuff like that that's leading to the bad defense certainly not being able to end possessions terminate possessions is not good Brooklyn had 20 second chance points in this one New Orleans had 11 that's a difference of nine in a game that New Orleans lost by 10 fixing that and limiting some of that could easily keep you in this game a little bit more particularly when you were shooting well and Brandon Ingram started cooking and they just aren't it's kind of everything being the problem right now and not just being able to point it to one thing there is a lot of good on that side of the ball you can kind of see some of the initial on-ball defense isn't bad but it's everything else and not having bigs you can trust right now and Zion would help with some of the rebounding also help with some of the scoring down low and being able to pick up some of that burden I don't know if he'd help with some of the other defensive stuff But certainly grabbing defensive boards right now would be great. Alongside Derek Favors, who just has not been healthy this year, he was a game-time decision, ended up playing, only played eight minutes, and looked largely ineffective. Something's going on with him, and now the Pelicans have three or four days off where he can just get healthy before their next game this coming Friday. So when this team gets a little bit healthy and Favors gets to play a little bit more, I think that's when we need to really start to evaluate the defense. And if they're giving up some of these same things, the bad rebounding, some of the just the lack of rim protection because they don't—Okafor is not a rim protector. Hayes isn't a rim protector. And Nicolo Melli is in the coach's doghouse after that no-show against the Oklahoma City Thunder that he didn't even play in this game. You're left with Biggs and an injured Derek Favors and basically— Uh, Jackson Hayes, that's not going to get it done defensively. And we know Okafor is not going to. So they're in a no-win situation with this right now. I know that doesn't make you feel any better. and I know fans are ready to kind of revolt and riot after all of this. But when you kind of look at it all, yeah, this kind of is maybe a bit of the expectation that we, we should have for the team. Doesn't excuse it, but it doesn't mean we're seeing what they're capable of doing either. And that's what I'm kind of waiting for. And maybe we don't get that because injuries and other things don't make this fair, but maybe we do. And someone asked me on Twitter, and I think this is kind of sums it up in a really good way, is, you know, should we be looking at the front office to make moves with Alvin Gentry? You know, I said, yeah, after the season. I don't think changing head coaches right now, and I'm not saying you shouldn't want him fired. My take on it is this, you know, yeah, evaluate this after the year. Should they retain Alvin Gentry or not? I think that's completely fair to do at the end of the season. I don't think replacing him in season is going to do any good. Not one bit. You're still going to have Bizdelic in charge of the defense. It's not going to change what's going on here. The rotations, he made the right moves. That's what you want in a head coach, right? And he did. But he doesn't have options for some of the defensive side that he'd like to see. So changing him midseason I don't think does you any good. Certainly evaluated after the season. But you know what? When this team gets healthy and maybe we see some of these other guys, maybe this isn't something we're even concerned about at the end of the year. And there's a chance that that might be the case with a healthy favors, a uh, healthy Zion Williamson, Drew Holiday, who needs to be better than he was. We didn't even really touch on him in the recap on this one. By the way, he was not great Needed to be better, that's the only other way you could really, really put it with him. Drew Holiday, by the way, was 7 of 17, so 40-something percent, 15 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists. If you're the number one guy, that's not it. Certainly doesn't seem like he's the number one guy with Brandon Ingram doing all of that. But anyway, going back to the point is, yeah, we should evaluate if Alvin Gentry is the right fit for this team, if this whole coaching staff is right for the team. But you do that after the season, And maybe there is a need to still do that, but maybe at one point things start to click in because they certainly have guys who can be good defenders, and we actually aren't worried about this. But it's Game 7. You do that after Game 82, or maybe after Game 60, a little bit longer than what we've gotten so far. So while this game was a disappointment, there are some bright sides with it, I guess, if you really want to look at it that way. Mainly Brandon Ingram, but the other things we talked about on today's podcast as well. And that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. Thank you all for listening. Disappointing result for New Orleans, but a very fun game if you're a fan of Brandon Ingram. I'm a huge one right now. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nolajake on Twitter. And I'll be back with you all tomorrow.